Welcome to the Verity Podcast for Tuesday, September 26, 2023, where we separate the spins from the facts. I'm Melissa Topshire. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. France plans to withdraw its armed forces from Niger. Thousands of ethnic Armenians flee Nagorno-Karabakh. A Washington Post-ABC poll shows Trump with a sizable lead over Biden. The Pope urges Western nations not to play games with Ukraine. Protesters march in Spain over potential amnesty for Catalan separatists. Writers reach a tentative deal in the ongoing Hollywood strikes. Senator Bob Menendez pushes back against calls for his resignation. Tucker Carlson is promoted on Russian state television. California Governor Gavin Newsom signs bills to enhance protections for the LGBTQ community. And Amazon inks a massive $4 billion deal to invest in AI startup Anthropic. In our top story, France plans to withdraw troops from Niger. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The New York Times, BBC News, DW, France 24, Tribune Online, and Al Jazeera. On Sunday, French President Emmanuel Macron announced that Paris will withdraw its soldiers from Niger by the end of the year following weeks of escalating tensions with the country's new military leaders. In an interview with French television outlets, Macron said military cooperation with Niger was over, adding that in addition to withdrawing its 1,500 troops, Paris also decided to immediately withdraw its ambassador and several diplomats from Niger. In a statement, the Nigerian military government welcomed Macron's announcement as a new step toward the country's sovereignty and said that imperialist and neo-colonialist forces are no longer welcome on our national territory. Earlier Sunday, before Macron's announcement, the Agency for the Safety of Air Navigation in Africa and Madagascar said Niger's coup plotters banned French aircraft or aircraft chartered by France from flying over the country's airspace. Meanwhile, Macron told French TV that he still considers Mohamed Bazoum, who is held captive by Niger's military rulers as the country's sole legitimate authority, calling the president ousted in a military coup on July 26th a hostage. Following the coup, Niamey terminated military cooperation with France, claiming that the Western-backed Bazoum government failed to protect the population from al-Qaeda and Islamic State group-linked armed affiliates in the country's western Sahel region. Thank you, Eric, for those facts. And on this program, we separate the facts from the narrative spins. We'll begin this round with a pro-establishment narrative from France 24. The withdrawal of French troops and Macron's announcement to recall the French ambassador from Niger is the right decision, given the ungrateful and hostile attitude of the Nigerian junta. The power-hungry coup plotters toppled the elected president for implementing bold reforms, thereby threatening their influence. France has helped Sahel countries like Niger, often alone, to fight Islamist terrorism, and the withdrawal of French troops does not bode well for the future and stability of Niger and the entire region. We follow that up with an establishment critical narrative coming from Daily Trust. Macron's announcement to withdraw French troops and the French ambassador from Niger is another major embarrassment for Paris. This is all the more true since Macron had previously announced that he would not give in to the military government's demand for the pullout of French troops and the French ambassador. The fact that Macron has now given in to the pressure is a victory for the Nigerian military government and underscores the fact that the France-Afrique era is ultimately coming to an end. And Forbes gives us a narrative C. While France's withdrawal signals Niger's break with the political status quo, another development points to economic continuity. 
For instance, Western mining companies, most notably the French company Orano, continued to operate in the country to mine Niger's valuable uranium deposits. Some even have expansion plans, and so far there is little to suggest that the Nigerian military government intends to stop the company's activities. Niamey's break with the West is by no means as radical as it might seem at first glance. Thousands of ethnic Armenians flee Nagorno-Karabakh. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, France 24, DW, BBC News, and The Guardian. The leadership of the contested breakaway region of Nagorno-Karabakh announced on Sunday that the region's 120,000 Armenian inhabitants would leave the area after Azerbaijan launched a 24-hour-long offensive last week, leading to the surrender of local forces. Some 4,850 people have reportedly crossed into Armenia from the region as of Monday, and the Armenian government said it was preparing for thousands of refugees. Residents began leaving the territory's de facto capital on Sunday evening via the Lashin Corridor toward the border with Armenia. Meanwhile, Armenian Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan on Sunday criticized his country's security agreements with Russia as ineffective after Moscow refused to intervene. Armenia is a member of the Russia-dominated Collective Security Treaty Organization, or CSTO, pledging mutual protection in the event of an attack. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan is expected to meet with his Azerbaijani counterpart Ilham Aliyev to discuss the situation in the region which is internationally recognized as part of Azerbaijan. The two leaders will also discuss a range of related issues. The conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan dates back to the fall of the Soviet Union, when the two former Soviet republics declared independence, with both claiming sovereignty over the majority Armenian enclave of Nagorno-Karabakh. In the first war in the early 1990s, Armenia managed to capture the territory. In 2020, a second war broke out, with Azerbaijan capturing large swaths of territory and Russia playing a key role in negotiating a ceasefire. Tensions increased that year after Azerbaijan imposed a partial blockade of the Lashin Corridor, the only road that links Nagorno-Karabakh with Armenia. Melissa, thank you for the facts of that story. We begin the round of spins with Narrative A. It's coming from Armenian Weekly. Hundreds of years of Armenian history will soon be erased as the Azerbaijan seeks to ethnically cleanse Nagorno-Karabakh, known as Artsakh, to its indigenous Armenian population. The world, yet again, is watching in silence as long, dispossessed people are pushed out of their homeland. And AZE Media brings us Narrative B. Azerbaijan has finally triumphed and reclaimed its sovereignty over Nagorno-Karabakh. The goals of this anti-terror operation were to simply dislodge Armenia's military presence in the region and ensure the return of refugees displaced by Armenia in the first war. If civilians choose to leave the region, that is their choice. But Azerbaijan has done nothing to indicate that this is its intent, as it only seeks to live in harmony with its neighbors. According to a new poll, it shows a 10-point lead for Trump over Biden. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Washington Post, ABC News, Daily Mail, Daily Caller, and NBC. Former President Donald Trump leads President Joe Biden by 10 percentage points in a new Washington Post-ABC poll released Sunday. The large margin for the Republican frontrunner significantly differs from most other public polls. 
In a hypothetical November 2024 matchup, Trump, the front runner for the GOP nomination, according to polling, has 51% support to Biden's 42%. Biden's job approval rating is 37% overall. Meanwhile, 48% say they approve of the job Trump did while in office, with 49% saying they disapprove. Trump had a 38% approval rating when he left office in January 2021. Biden's handling of the economy has hit the low point of his term at 30%, with 75% of Americans saying they believe the economy is, quote, not so good or, quote, poor. Shortly after releasing the poll, the Washington Post suggested in a statement that the difference between its poll and most others, which show the candidates in a virtual dead heat, means this poll is, quote, probably an outlier. An NBC poll also released over the weekend showed similar results when it came to Biden's approval rating and feelings about the economy, but it showed Biden and Trump even at 46% support each. Those were the facts. As you may have guessed, we have some opposing narratives here, starting with a Democratic narrative from The Messenger. All signs are pointing toward a close race, so the idea that Biden might wind up losing by double digits is preposterous. Although a close race should be a warning sign to the incumbent president, remember that Biden was underestimated in 2020, and many thought Democrats would get trounced in the 2022 midterms. Throughout his career, Biden has been a triumphant underdog. And we counter that with a Republican narrative coming from PJ Media. The president's approval rating has been dropping precipitously for months, so the fact that he might be behind Trump by 10 or more points at this stage shouldn't be a surprise. Results of other questions in this poll show that he's failing as president. One has to wonder if Democrats might look for a different nominee. And we have a nerd narrative from the Metaculous Prediction community. This one says there's a 40% chance that Trump would win a 2024 presidential election matchup with Biden. In our next story, the Pope tells Western nations not to play games with Ukraine. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Associated Press, Reuters, Ukrainska Pravda, the Catholic Herald, and NPR Online News. On Saturday, Pope Francis urged the West and its allies to stop playing with the martyrdom of the Ukrainian people in the nation's conflict with Russia by initially deciding to provide Kyiv with weapons and subsequently considering withdrawing their support. In an apparent reference to Poland, which recently announced it would stop sending weapons to Ukraine, Francis said, I see now that some countries are moving backward. A process is starting in which the martyr certainly will be the Ukrainian people, and that is an ugly thing. During a flight back to Rome following a two-day trip to Marseille, the pontiff also criticized arms dealers for exploiting the Russia-Ukraine war, stating, The interests in this war are not just those related to the Ukrainian-Russian problem, but to the sale of weapons, the commerce of weapons. The Vatican later issued a clarification, arguing the Pope wasn't taking a stand on whether countries should or shouldn't send weapons to Ukraine, but that his words were a reflection on the consequences of the arms industry. Francis's remarks come after Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky appealed to U.S. lawmakers for continued military support, amid doubts from some Republicans over whether Congress should supply more weapons to Kyiv. Ukraine's leader said, if we don't get the aid, we will lose the war. Last September, the Pope contributed to a prisoner swap between Russia and Ukraine involving nearly 300 people, while the Vatican claims it's also currently engaged in a secret peace mission to end the months-long war. Melissa, thanks for those facts. We begin our round of spins with a pro-establishment narrative, and it comes from Politico. After suggesting the war on Ukraine was a consequence of NATO, quote, barking at Russia's gate, 
and subsequently offending Ukraine by invoking the enlightened Russian Empire, the Pope is now denigrating the weapons industry as a key driver of the martyrdom of Ukraine's people. Francis should take greater care before sharing his political opinion, as, in his own words, the Catholic Church is not, quote, a political organization. And CTV News brings us an establishment critical narrative. Pope Francis has condemned Russia's invasion of Ukraine, made countless appeals to end the war, and repeatedly offered to mediate a peace process throughout the conflict. It's disappointing that the pontiff, who rightly calls out those producing weapons of war as a merchant of death, is under fire for stating the truth, that the Ukrainians are paying the price for the greed of Western nations and the actions of the arms industry. We have a nerd narrative coming from Metaculous Prediction Community. It says there's a 36% chance that the next Russian leader will disapprove of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. News coming from Spain as 40,000 people protest possible amnesty of Catalan separatists. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, The Guardian, DW, and CNN. An estimated 40,000 Spaniards, particularly from the opposition Conservative People's Party, or PP, flooded the streets of Madrid Sunday to protest acting Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez's plans to offer amnesty to Catalan separatists in order to keep himself in office after he failed to win July's election. The People's Party, led by Alberto Núñez Feijú, came in first in July's inconclusive general election, though the party fell well short of the majority needed to form a new government. Meanwhile, the ruling Spanish Socialist Workers' Party, led by Sanchez, will also lack the necessary votes unless it gains the support of the Catalans. Among the separatist leaders, Sanchez needs to pull to his side his exiled former Catalonia leader Carlos Puigdemont, who is wanted in Spain for encouraging the region's secession in 2017. Puigdemont has demanded the charges against him be dropped as a condition for his support. While Fehu has said at the rally that granting amnesty would amount to forgiving coup plotters, Sanchez has already done so, pardoning nine separatists in 2021 who were jailed over their roles in the independence push. Speaking in Catalonia the same day, Sanchez emphasized that if his government gave way to the People's Party, all the social, economic, and environmental progress his administration had made would be threatened by the conservatives, who he said would have to rely on the far-right Vox Party. With the next election set for September 27th, Feihu will try to capture the prime minister's office. But if he fails, Sanchez will get a chance to garner support. Thank you, Eric, for those facts, and we'll begin with a right narrative from The Telegraph. Acting Prime Minister Sanchez would rather collaborate with seditious traitors than work to build a government with the opposition party. Sanchez claims pardoning separatists would be forgiving mistakes made in the past, but Puigdemont attempted to secede from the country just six years ago. Spaniards are tired of separatists and their socialist leanings, which is why citizens are rightfully speaking out against this proposed amnesty. We follow that up with a left narrative coming from Associated Press. While some argue that separatists are traitors and should not receive amnesty, the fact is that they're still Spaniards and far less dangerous than the Vox Party, which refuses to condemn former dictator Francisco Franco. The People's Party, Feihu, knows he can't win by popular support alone, so he's trying to push feelings of fear and anger against the Catalonians rather than work to include them in the body politic. Hollywood writers reach a tentative deal to end the strike. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the New York Post, NBC, Al Jazeera, Variety, and The Independent. The long-running strike that's brought Hollywood to a standstill could soon be over after the Writers Guild of America announced on Sunday that a tentative deal has been reached with the Alliance of Motion Pictures and Television Producers. 
The Guild, representing over 11,000 writers in film and television, has been on strike for 145 days, demanding a fair share of the revenue from streaming services and protection from using artificial intelligence in their jobs. In announcing the new three-year contract, which must be approved by its board and members before the strike ends, the Guild described the deal as exceptional, with meaningful gains and protections for writers. The vote is expected to take place on Tuesday, with the Guild telling its members, to be clear, no one is to return to work until specifically authorized to by the Guild. We are still on strike until then. However, it confirmed suspending picketing immediately. While the Writers Guild has struck a deal with top studio executives, the SAG-AFTRA Actors Union remains on strike as negotiations to get the actors back to work are ongoing. The dual strikes have reportedly cost the economy at least $5 billion in monetary losses. Melissa just read the facts. Now we have a round of spins, and it begins with Narrative A coming from The Guardian. The Hollywood strike, which had a terrible impact beyond the writers' and actors' lives, dragged on for nearly five months because of Hollywood studios' greed. However, the deal shows studios and streaming companies have finally acknowledged that the industry will be brought to a standstill if their profits and artificial intelligence take precedence over their creative talent. Narrative B is from USA Today. Instead of holding the entertainment industry hostage over artificial intelligence and decimating local economies, Hollywood's writers and actors should have used the technology to supplement and improve their work. The unprecedented dual strikes could backfire and allow studios and streaming to eliminate the creatives from the artistic process for good. The Metaculous Prediction community has provided a nerd narrative for this story. They say there's a 50% chance that a top celebrity musician will accuse AI of unfairly mimicking their style before January of 2024. U.S. Senator Menendez says he won't resign. Here are the facts as agreed upon by ABC News, BBC News, CNBC, and Fox News. On Monday, in his first public remarks since his September 22 indictment, U.S. Senator Bob Menendez, Democrat of New Jersey, signaled that he intends to stay in office. This comes as New Jersey state leadership has called for Menendez to leave Congress altogether, with New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy and most of the state's Democratic House delegation urging him to resign. Menendez and his wife were indicted Friday in New York for allegedly accepting hundreds of thousands of dollars in bribes. They both deny the charges. Menendez and his wife Nadine are accused of accepting cash, gold bars, home mortgage payments, and other bribes as part of a, quote, corrupt relationship that allegedly benefited Egypt. Menendez, who agreed to step down as chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee and is up for re-election in 2024, and his wife have each been charged with three counts. Businessman Fred Dibus, Whale, Will Hanna, and Jose Uribe have also been charged. Previously, Menendez was indicted in 2015 on federal bribery charges in an unrelated case, which ultimately resulted in a mistrial. Thank you, Eric, for those facts, and we'll start with a Republican narrative from the Washington Examiner. Menendez should be ashamed that he again finds himself being charged with corruption, and he should resign immediately. Any work he does will be tainted by the stain of corruption, and although he's innocent until proven guilty, Democrats' reluctance to challenge his actions raises questions. MSNBC gives us a Democratic narrative. No one ever wants to see a high-level official accused of corruption, but this case speaks against the accusations that the Department of Justice is being weaponized against conservatives. The DOJ, alongside the Democratic Party, has done its due diligence in this case and in the previous one against the senator. Russian state TV promotes Tucker Carlson. 
Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, Business Insider, TASS, The Financial Times, and Forbes. An advertisement for a weekend show featuring former Fox News host Tucker Carlson was aired on Friday on Russian TV news channel Rossiya24, reportedly the second such promo this month. The ads have prompted speculation about the program's content, and it's unclear whether the content would be re-airing Carlson's current programming on X, formerly Twitter, or original content. Carlson denies any involvement with the ads for the show bearing his name, stating that he had never heard of Rossiya24 before they aired and would never consider partnering with Russian state TV. Despite the comments, Russian news agency TASS reported on Monday that according to Carlson's statements to Swiss magazine Die Weltvolk, the TV host had looked to interview Russian President Vladimir Putin but was obstructed by senior U.S. officials. In addition, Russian TV has regularly replayed comments made by Carlson dismissing allegations of Russian interference in the 2016 U.S. elections and supporting some Kremlin talking points on the Ukraine war. Carlson abruptly parted ways with Fox News in April, days after the broadcaster settled a case with the company Dominion over claims that its voting machines were rigged against Donald Trump in the 2020 presidential elections. The right-wing host, who has opted to relaunch his show on X, was reportedly contacted by two Russian state-run media outlets, RT and Channel One, shortly after he was ousted. Melissa, thanks for those facts. Our first spin is a pro-establishment narrative coming from Atlantic. Even if a Russian version of Carlson's programming turns out to be a simple re-airing of his ex-content, it wouldn't be surprising if he joined Russian state TV at some point, as he has consistently echoed Kremlin propaganda. As a prominent American journalist, his irresponsible pro-Russia comments have concerningly influenced the public debate at home while finding resonance abroad. And the Daily Caller provides us an establishment-critical narrative. Because the Western media establishment largely insists there's a patriotic duty to hate Putin unconditionally, it's no wonder the speculation surrounding his relationship with Russian media has come to harm Carlson's reputation. While the host has explicitly blamed the Russian leader for the conflict and its subsequent humanitarian catastrophes, he hasn't shied away from concerns ordinary Americans share about the cost of supporting Ukraine's war efforts. The Metaculous Prediction community is at it once again with a nerd narrative. They say there's an 18% chance that there will be a U.S.-Russia war before 2050. I think Russia, like Tucker Carlson, they say, hey, we put you on our TV. Why don't you come visit? There's going to be a there's going to be a new vodka out on the market next month. Ooh, what would his vodka be called? The Fox and Hound. Fox and the Hound. Yeah. In our next story, the governor of California signs an LGBTQ plus protection bill. Here are the facts as agreed upon by ABC News, the official website of the governor of California, Associated Press, USA Today, and the Sacramento Bee. California Governor Gavin Newsom signed several bills Saturday aimed at enhancing the state's protection for LGBTQ plus people. In a statement on the California governor website, Newsom, a Democrat, said California is proud to have some of the most robust laws in the nation when it comes to protecting and supporting our LGBTQ community. And we are committing to the ongoing work to create safer, more inclusive spaces for all Californians. Much of the new legislation centers around supporting LGBTQ youth. One bill lays out schedules for required cultural competency training for teachers and staff at public schools 
A second law creates an advisory task force to help evaluate and advocate for the needs of LGBTQ plus students. And a third law will require foster families to show they are willing to meet the needs of foster children regardless of gender and sexual orientation. The governor also signed legislation that will require schools with 1st through 12th grade students to have at least one gender-neutral bathroom available by the year 2026. The move comes just one day after Newsom vetoed Assembly Bill 957 on Friday. The bill would have instructed judges to consider parents' acceptance of children's gender identities and custody disputes. Thank you, Eric, and we'll start this round with a Democratic narrative from the California governor's website. While states across the nation are passing anti-LGBTQ legislation, California is making a clear statement that hate and bigotry against the LGBTQ community will not be tolerated, and that the state will continue to protect LGBTQ people, especially youth. As expected, we get opposition from the Republicans with their narrative. And this is coming from KTVU Fox 2. While Newsom may have signed a slew of pro-LGBTQ plus laws on Saturday, It comes right after he bucked a number of progressive initiatives the day before. He's grandstanding on issues at the core of the Democratic Party, immigration and LGBTQ plus rights, and illustrating something Republicans have been saying for a long time. The Democrats are going too far to the left. And our final story today, Amazon cements a $4 billion deal with the AI startup Anthropic. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Bloomberg, Reuters, The Financial Times, and TechCrunch. On Monday, Amazon announced its plan to invest up to $4 billion in the AI startup Anthropic. Amazon will invest $1.25 billion immediately in the Claude chatbot maker with the option of investing the remainder later. Amazon employees and cloud customers will gain early access to Anthropic's technology, while the latter will work to develop technology for Amazon's in-house Tranium and Inferentia chips. Anthropic's use of Amazon-designed semiconductors is designed to showcase the products as an alternative to ones made by companies like NVIDIA. Amazon will be the Anthropic's primary cloud provider, but following a deal announced in February, Google had said it was Anthropic's preferred cloud provider. The deal is seen by analysts as another foray into the booming AI sector by Amazon, which is becoming increasingly interested in the technology. Melissa, thanks for those facts. Narrative A is our first spin. It's coming from Forbes. Amazon's groundbreaking $4 billion investment in Anthropic enhances the supply chain titan's position against Silicon Valley rivals like Microsoft, Google, and NVIDIA. This move introduces more robust competition in the tech industry AI arms race. The availability of more alternatives and AI-friendly chips is also welcome at such a crucial stage in the sector. And here's Narrative B from the Wall Street Journal. While this large dollar deal is notable, Anthropic is entangled in multiple cloud infrastructures, Google and Amazon, making the dynamics between the three companies somewhat hazy. Anthropic leaders have insisted nothing has changed in its February deal with Google, so the impact of the Amazon deal on the AI boom remains to be seen. And the nerds from Metaculous Prediction community say that there's a 50% chance that Anthropic will enable users to identify AI-generated content before July 1st, 2024. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening to the Verity Podcast for Tuesday, September 26th, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on the Verity Podcast, please visit our website, verity.news. You can also download the Verity app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Melissa Topshire, I'm Eric Steiner inviting you to join us next time on the Verity Podcast.